right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Boombastic Cast. Woo! Coming to you live and direct from 2022. First episode of the new year. We hope everybody out there had a great and safe New Year's. You know, you're back with us again for another season. Another good old season of the Boombastic Cast. Alexander the Hulk, how you doing over there? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. How you doing, buddy boy? I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. You know what I mean? So far, so good. The year started off pretty aight. You know, we got a new member of Little Fam going on. Got the Kenji dog going. So it's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. Uh, you know, this we wanted to start off the year doing a little bit of a memoriam type deal. You know, talking about some of the... The, uh, the old actors and filmmakers and, you know, people that kind of influenced us all the way. We got some athletes in here, you know, no musicians, you know what I mean, um, that uh, have kind of touched our souls, you know, on the way up. You know, when we do our interviews, the people we look for is mainly, you know, it could be from any kind of realm of entertainment or anything that has influenced us and we've got entertainment out of their work, you know what I mean? So we kind of want to do a full spectrum um, you know, wrap up, write up, so to speak, you know, on these folks, give them a little, send them off with a little bit of love, you know what I mean? Give them some love, give them some love. That's all you can do. That's all you can do. Um, so, you know, with that being said, you know, we will dip on in, you know what I mean? Uh, first up, we got Michael Apted. Right, director of films like Rome, The World Is Not Enough, and my personal favorite, Critical Condition. All right, Critical Condition is a Richard Pryor vehicle that is uh, one of his best films, I'd say. You know what I mean? I'm a big fan of. Um, you know, this dude also did Gorky Park, Gorillas in the Mist, Thunderheart, Nell, of course. You know what I mean? We remember Nell from way back in the day. Um. Yeah, you, you were a big fan of Nell, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, I really liked that. Um, I mean, I haven't seen it in a long time. Jody Foster. But, uh, yeah, yeah I, I really liked, um, uh, because anyone who hasn't seen the movie, it's about uh, these, um, oh, buddy, what kind of scientists they were, but yeah. they, uh, they found this girl by, uh, played by Foster, who uh, she ended up living in the woods by herself. So she ended up creating her own language and all that. The truth is she actually was, uh, because I think her uh, her mother was like, uh, wanting to get away from society and all that. And then she ended up dying, leaving actually Jodie Foster and uh, her her character's sister out there. Mm. And her sister died. So she ended up being by herself, but she ended up creating this entire new language. And it was a really touching and, and moving uh, story. I think, no quote on this, I think it was based on a true story. Yeah. I don't know if it was or wasn't, but I think it was. I think, unfortunately, I bet that stuff happens a lot, especially more in middle America, the wooded areas, you know what I mean, where there's my, you know, Many, many, many distances between your neighbor. You know what I mean? I think the stuff like that happens a lot in general. And then to go really true to the fact of the story, I think that there's people that have been 
outcasted deeper into the woods, you know what I mean? And that's where yeah. the case. I, what I, I seen this movie when it first came out, and I remember, did it? Does it have like a weird, big nude? I know she starts stripping her clothes off. Of is she attacked sexually in okay. this film? Um, I know there's well, another film that. Well, in this scene, now yeah. I mean this. This is what I remember of the scene. Yeah. Okay. The fact was. And of course, I'm killing myself. I forget. Uh, it was another big name actor who played the male scientist, but he wanted to bring Nell into the the, the city to do a kind of um, a video, uh, you know, thing, you know, to show because he finally was able to communicate with her and wanted to put her on TV. Now he brought her into the town, and then she ended up being split away from him and the other scientists and she ended up walking into this uh, i think it was a restaurant or something and there's of course you know in in typical story like that you always have to have like three bullies that see a vulnerable woman that obviously doesn't know what's really going on Mm -hmm. or social norms so they start, you know, playing with her and one of them uh, convinced her to lift up her shirt to show boobies and of course she does what's going on and with this because of course this is the first time she's really interacting with other people other than just herself and now the scientists so that that's the nude scene um i think the male scientist does show up before the bullies take it too far i don't think that they get to the point of physically attacking her other than you know it's obviously it's going in that in that kind of um, direction, you get the vibe. Like, as you get a- the vibe if, if the scientist guy didn't show up, that you know something probably a lot worse was going to happen than you know her taking off her shirt. The ugliness of humanity. Liam Neeson, I believe, right? Was it Liam yes. Neeson, the okay. scientist? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Because the, uh, I was trying trying to think who it was, but it was Liam. I remember, like, as a kid, I only watched it once, and I only watched it because back in the VHS days, you know what I mean, the family would go rent whatever the new movies were. Like, no matter, that was, what a beautiful time that was. We don't talk about that much as much. We talk about going to the video store to get movies we like, but we don't really ever talk about the aspect of how people just got whatever was new. You know what I mean? They just, they'd go, oh, the new section, look at this. Like, there's no reason why Nell should have ever, ever found its way into our household. But it did because of it was the new flick. And I remember that part sticking out to me pretty, being like, uh, as a, as a, yeah, I probably wasn't that young, but like the accused, her and the accused, like I've seen the accused when I was probably a little too young. And I like that, that scene in the bar is like burned into my brain. You know what I mean? And uh, it's more horrible human shit. I wonder if my outlook is so foggy on on humanity sometimes because I've seen all this ugly humanity shit in the cinemas. I blame the cinemas. Somebody give me a check. I blame the cinemas. Yeah. But, well, uh, I got news for you. Ugly humanity is what we live in. No, I know. I hear you. I hear you. You know what I mean? It needs a facelift, right? Some Botoxian. Now... Apted also did the, the hop, hop back to the people that are daily departed. Apted, our boy, critical condition, like I said, uh, critical condition, one of the 
Pryor's best films. And, uh, you know, it's mainly about there's a jewel thief and he ends up in like a mental hospital type deal. Or just a regular hospital, a regular hospital faking his deal. And he kind of gets the other patients riled up with him, if I remember correctly. Uh, the thing that I remember the most about that show, that movie, is where he calls, Richard Pryor calls one of the bad guys a penis head. Instead of a dickhead, he goes, you're a penis head. Don't be a penis head. And that always made me laugh from, from, from a kid. Even when I see it nowadays, which granted, it's been a little bit. Um, that's, that gets to me. That always gives me a chuckle. Even when I think of it, I smile, you know what I mean? Um, another gentleman that passed away this year that when I think of, I smile, of course, is the great Ed Asner. And I know you're a Gigantor fan of Ed. Um, you know, he, he, I think the last big thing he really did was he did that up. He, he was the voice of the grandfather and up. Yeah. But that dude's uh, been in everything. Uh, he would have been a great guest for our show yeah. for sure. Uh, let, let, I just shared a memory. How about you share a good memory of some Ed Asner? Well, I mean, the thing, um, I mean, like a lot of other people, I, I saw him on a Mary Tyler show. Um, and, uh, and of course, he always popped up here and there, of course, for, as Matt said, most notably, now, uh, the voice of the grandfather and up would be the most notable recent thing he's done. But I wanted to point out something that now I I talked to I forget uh, one of the people that I know in the uh, independent uh, film industry hmm. was talking about how uh, he ended up working with Ed Asner. Uh, one of the things about Ed is that even up to his death, he was still doing films. Now he wasn't like you know doing uh, uh you know big budgets. He he was doing a lot of like independent films. Mm. which uh, up to, you know, his death. And the guy I was talking to, uh, w- was talking to because before he did the, this uh, independent film, which I forget the name of, uh, he was also on Broadway. He was doing a Broadway f- uh, a play up to that point. And was asked, why, why are you still doing this? Why? I mean... You should be, you know, retiring and enjoying your your, your retirement at, at this stage. And he says, "Son, I'm an actor. Actors don't retire." Yeah. And and that was Ed Asner. I mean, he loved to act. He loved to work. And I know that some people look down at actors that you know aren't big but are constantly working in more lower films, you know, more independent, more, you know, on the fringe of the big Hollywood uh, spotlight. And that I, I always, always loved Ed for that because, and, and not just Ed, there's a lot of other actors that fit in the same mold. And I think they get a lot of bad rap when they're doing films that aren't, uh, the same caliber as the ones that made him made them known, mm-hmm. and I I think I give a lot of credit to those that I mean, when you love to act when you love to be an actor that yeah you might the the, the film you in might not be you know as as great as something you've done before but you know just just keeping active and that's why I think he's he lived as long as he did was he always 
kept on moving. He did not let his age weigh down on what he did with his life. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you 110% with that. You know what I mean? He was a part of the Captain Planet show for a while, which was cool. But uh, he's most probably well-known for the Mary Tyler Moore show, I'd say. That's kind of... I know new gener- like I said, the new generation might know him kind of for the up, if you will, because that was such a big animated movie. I'd say the older generation would probably definitely fall in line with, you know, Mary Tyler Moore type show. It was Lou Grant, of course. I believe it was her boss. Um, but yeah. yeah, very, very cool. You know, rest in peace. Rest in peace. Everybody will talk about. We'll say that now so we don't have to say to every person. You know what I mean? Next up, sir, the great Ned Beatty. You know what I mean? Royalty. Family uh, Family is uh, Hollywood royalty over there. You know, got to step, I got to start in deliverance, squealing like a pig. You know, you know, one of the most memorable moments from probably that era, you know, uh, but you got a pretty mouth, squeal like a pig. Like those are things people still say to this day to kind of for jokes and to mess around. Um, iconic role, iconic, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I have to say for me, for me, um, it'll always be, I'm right here, Mr. Luthor. Right here, Mr. Luthor. Otis. Otis and Superman. Oh, yes. Classic. Yeah, he did all of them, I believe. You know, Network was a big deal for him. Uh, Whenever I see him, I always think of him as playing Dan Dan O'Connor's father in Roseanne. On the show Roseanne, he played Dan's father. Um, His his abusive cheating father, if I remember correctly. But they, they squared things away. Uh, by the end of it, you know what I mean? So everybody can be happy again. Another thing is um, he was also in the movie Hopscotch with uh, Walter Matthau. One of your that's, that's a really good movie. If you haven't seen that, I say check it out. Yeah. And uh, it's it's a lot of fun. He plays uh, a weasel of a bureaucrat that gets, uh, gets you know, the, his... Uh, uh, it, it gets gets harassed throughout the entire film the way he deserved. <laughs> yeah, he was also in one of a one of the one of the best Rodney Dangerfield films of all time, Back to School. You know what I mean? Legendary status. So oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know we could probably do a whole episode on that gentleman, but we won't. So, so it keeps get moving a little bit. We got uh, Frank Bonner from WKRP in Cincinnati and Equinox. You know what I mean? You know, the great show, big fan of the show. Equinox, I wanted to bring up because not a lot of people know this, but Equinox was a huge, huge influence on the Evil Dead movies. Uh, and if, 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 if you don't believe so, you can look it up. Sam Raimi said it himself. And if you've ever seen Equinox, it's, it's, it's kind of the Evil Dead. You know what I mean? Like, it's pretty much the Evil Dead. Um, with it, you know, certain elements aren't there. The Raimi automobile isn't in the film. You know what I mean? But <laughs> just about everything else, for the most part, <clears throat> you know what I mean, is in there. But yeah, it's very uh, Fra- Frank Bonner in the building. Next up, we got Sonny Chiba, legendary action star. You know what I mean? From the Street Fighter series. Um, for all of you out there, like kung fu movies and stuff like that, like Quentin Tarantino, put him in Kill Bill. Um, what was the name of this? He played the dude who makes the swords, I think. And I forget the Hanzo sword. They're, they all want that the sword made by that dude. Yeah, I, I think his name was name. Hanzo, Al Hanzo 
sword or something like that. I haven't watched it. In, it's one of Tarantino's best flicks, the first one, and I haven't watched it sadly in a long time. You know what I mean? Um, but what can you do? Not much can be done. Sonny Chiba, just you know, the greatest. I have VHS Street Fighter like box sets. I got Street Fighter, Return of Street Fighter, and Sister Street Fighter. You know, classic, classic in, in Asian, you know, kung fu uh, action cinema for sure. It's one of those deals. I believe it's. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know exactly where, but so we'll just keep it. We'll keep it circular and, and global. Um, next up, we have Michael Constantine. All right. For anybody out there that don't know, he's in The Hustler. I believe he was the grandfather in my big fat Greek wedding. But mainly to me, I, I know and love him for being in Thinner, a Stephen King um, film, which I'm sure, I believe actually Richard Bachman, he got it under an alias, I believe. It wasn't an actual King book, but King wrote it. Um, but yeah, he's the guy who goes, Thinner. Who touches the dude's face after he gets his wife ran over from because the fucking the white man getting some head, getting some fucking road head when he wasn't supposed to, and uh killing the dude's poor wife. So he goes out there and goes, Thinna. and then there's he turns the other person into like a reptile. Have you seen Thinner? Thinner's a fucking devastating. I movie. I honestly don't I, I don't think I've actually seen the film. Thinner is a very fun I've seen flick. the trailer and I know of it, but I never watched it. It's pretty fun. It's actually pretty fun. Um, it's funny because Richard Bachman, I believe, wrote it, but I do think that in the promo for the movies, it says Stephen King's Thinner, if I remember correctly. Because there was a period of time when King just started writing books under uh, an alias, which was Richard Bachman. And um, for whatever reason, I don't know why you would want to do that. Word would eventually get out that you this and that, you know what I mean? But I don't know. It could be funny. Maybe you want to see, make sure you still had it type deal. Mm-hmm. You know, we got Jim, Johnny Crawford from the Rifleman and Hellboy and El Dorado. You know, him and Ed Asner were both in El Dorado. So El Dorado took a big hit this year. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people did. Stuart Damon. All right. He was in our chairman of the board, Star 80, Space 1999. You know what I mean? These are good films. I want to say that. Um, Caratop just did a, a Joe Rogan interview in the last couple of weeks. And I do believe he tells a story about, uh, Stuart, um, and what it was like to work with him. He worked with him on chairman of the board, which chairman of the board is very, you know, Caratop is a certain type of humor. Um, and I like Caratop. It's not for everybody. You know what I mean? But I like it. I think it's good. You know, he has the, the prop comedy and then, you know, just jokes, the jokes and stuff are always nice with him. But, uh, yeah. Definitely, uh, yeah, for sure. Next up, do you have, did you want to say anything about Stuart Damon? No, no. Um, I, I think I think you hit everything on that. All right, we're cruising too fast. All right, so next up, Dustin Diamond. Mm. Some of you may remember him from us giving him hard times in the first episode of the season, but all old times out of love. You know what I mean? You can listen to that episode, and we'll talk about how we, much we like him. Even though it was a little couple of, you know, we talked more about the situation, which is comedy in itself. But um, Dustin Diamond, known for Screech from Saved by the Bell. Um, I believe he did all the, the, the different spinoffs up until, because he even did the college years, which if you watch yeah. Saved by the Bell, the college years, you're a real trooper. You're a diehard Saved by the Bell fan. And I watched all of them. 
I used to watch them before <laughs> school. I remember they used to play them before school back in the day. Um, and then, he, you know, reality, reality TV kind of grabbed him up, you know, in the early 2000s when they were taking all like maybe yesterday's celebrities and were trying, you know, pushing them out there. Um, he was one of those dudes. I think he did the boxing. I think he yeah, was he did celebrity boxing. I think he did one of the Big Brother uh, seasons. I forget uh, which one. I remember he had the dildo. He had a dildo made of his penis. I remember that. That's always comedic. Saved by the smell. It's true. There you go. That's probably that's the porn. The uh, the late great DMX. You know what I mean? He has. He's an actor in his own right, but uh, rapper extraordinaire. Been around. You know, he kind of when me and Hawk were going through high school, he was kind of popping. And he was popping all the way up until the end of his life. Um, DMX always felt like one of the realest, you know, in the mainstream music. Um, there's a lot of people running around talking about having guns and killing people and selling drugs and doing stuff. But they're mainly just like, like you know, p- playing a persona. DMX is one of the people that I always assumed to be one of the realest people to ever hit the mainstream. Um, usually the real ones don't last that long because they're doing what they, they're living what they say and have to pass away. That's how it goes or go away. Um, and DMX, he, he definitely went away a few times, um, but he went away for the big time last year, unfortunately. Our only, Boombastic has a tie-in with DMX, which is fun, is that when we were making, getting ready to make DJ Stan the Man, and this is a very far-fetched idea, but it isn't when it wraps around, Okay. Um, and what happens is when we were making DJ before we started shooting, I was approached. Yes, I was approached, which was, which was the weird part of it. And by someone who claimed to be DMX's manager and they reached out to me and said, Hey, you know, you could get DMX in your film for like set amount of money. And right from the get go, I, you know, nicely had to decline because I know that we can never afford DMX. I wasn't going to waste anybody's time. See, now I'm rapping like DMX. And um, so uh, we ixnayed it, you know, even though if the, if, if, the, if the film was a big success and we did a sequel and we lost Chase Carson, if Chase Carson made the list, then we'd put, we would have put DMX in there if he didn't die. <laughs> you know what I mean? But uh, come to find out later in life, uh, I, was, I ended up reading an article maybe five years, five years, five years, of years of success. And it was an article about how DMX's manager was, in fact, going around asking people if they want DMX in their movie. But the problem was she was taking all the money that the productions gave him and he didn't even know that it was going on. So I'm very glad that we declined because if I was in if I was feeling like a superstar, I quite possibly would have tried to bite off more than I could chew and say, fuck, yeah, we'll have DMX in the movie. Here's fucking all the money we have. And then that would be that. You know what I mean? And you think it took a while to get DJ Stan the Man re- regular. Imagine <laughs> if we gave all the money to DMX's manager. You might never have seen the damn thing. But uh, now you can. Next up, the great Richard Donner. You know what I mean? We did a whole tribute episode to him, uh, Checking the Gate with Richard Donner, where we talk about his entire career. Um, iconic, Lethal Weapon, the Goonies, you know what I mean? The dude's Lady been, Hawk. Lady Hawk, Hawkman's fa- one of his favorite of all time movies, you know what I mean? Classic film. Um, 
Richard Donner was involved with uh, like the Tales from the Crypt show coming back. Of course, Superman, like we brought up before, you know, him and Bo, him and uh, uh, fucking Bo Bridges, our boy. No, not Bo Bridges. Ned Beatty up in this motherfucker. I got that mixed up sometimes. Um, both on Superman. You know what I mean? Um, we won't go too deep into Donner. He's iconic. Um, the last movie that he ended up doing was 16 Blocks and Timeline. You know, Lethal Weapon 4. These are, you know, Conspiracy Theory Assassins. These are fucking, this dude's career is ridiculously great. You know what I mean? Like, I'll run through real quick just to just to play with folks. Just to fucking, we, we'll just start from like the 90s where people, where our generation probably taps in and people that are a little older would still be able to appreciate. Um, but yeah, you got The Omen. How we've The Omen, dude. I think his directorial debut, if I remember correctly, was The Omen. Followed up by Superman, Superman Two, Inside Moves, which isn't a bad. That's a pretty good flick. It, you know, it, it don't really like, it don't match up theme wise with other things, but it's a great flick. The Toy, of course, to go back to Richard Pryor, The Goonies, mm-hmm. Lady Hawk, Lethal Weapon, Scrooge, one of the one of the best uh, current Christmas movies that we go for. Uh, Radio Flyer, we just talked about Radio Flyer with um, Tom, with our boy Tom on the Christmas episode yeah. when we were talking about the barrel. You know, he did three episodes of Tales from the Crypt, you know, Assassins with fucking uh, Stallone and uh, Bandaras, classic conspiracy theory with Gibson. Timeline, I believe, had McConaughey in it, maybe. Um, I honestly don't know. I, I That's one I have to admit I missed. No, Paul Walker. Oh, yeah, yeah. Paul Walker was, yeah, Paul Walker was Gerard, in that. Paul Walker and Gerard Butler. You know, rest in peace, Paul Walker, because uh, we never did an episode for that year. But uh, his, his his career went up in flames, unfortunately. And 16 Blocks, which I believe was um, Bruce Willis and most deaf, I think. Yeah. Could be wrong. No, no, you're right. That's uh, that's a good one. I, I like that one. Yes, yeah, it, that it's, solid. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, before Bruce uh, totally gave into the I don't care motif. Somebody was talking about him not caring, and uh, I got to agree with him. I don't think he fucking cares whatsoever. Um, next up, we have Olympia Dukakis, you know what I mean, from Moonstruck, Still Magnolia, you know, some other films that I typically wouldn't be watching, but we give respect. Mr. Holland's Opus. Mr. Holland's Opus is one of those weird, it's a Dreyfus movie, a Dreyfus vehicle. Uh, he's in the driver's seat of that one. Dreyfus is a dude who I appreciate, but only in certain doses. You know what I mean, um, and in certain roles. But for the but I but I'm down with it. You know what I mean. So rest in peace there. Were you a Dukakis fan? Um, if not, I, just say rest in peace, and we'll go to the next person. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean I mean I I knew of her, but I, I never really connected with her. I guess is is the best way to say. Yeah, that. I'm with you on that, and we we got love. We show love and respect. Now, somebody I know you got love and respect for up next is Larry Flint, the creator of <laughs> Hustle Up Magazine. Hey, hey, Larry has has helped this young boy become a man. Many wanted. When you wanted your porno mags a little trashier than what Playboy and Penthouse was offering, you went the Hustler route, where you you would I believe Hustler was the first one, the first big one that was legitimate, like uh, penetration sex. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you'd see stuff like that. Like the other ones were just kind of models naked, but I think the other ones were more 
maybe it wasn't even actual sex, but it was like guys and girls together and uh, very, very, it looked like they were doing the dirty. You know what I mean? Heck yeah. Also, he's the subject matter for the People vs. Larry Flint. You know, the one of, I think that's one of fucking Woody Harrelson's. That's right up there with Natural Born Killers, Cheers, uh, you know, um, was the show he did not too long ago. The cop one he did with, um, it was him and McConaughey, True Detective, which was fucking, oh yeah. True Detective was, is like, um, must see TV, you know what I mean? Like you say, like the Sopranos is something everybody should watch. I think True Detective was right up there too. I think there's four seasons. I didn't catch the fourth one. I watched the third one with um, Vince Vaughn, which a lot of people didn't like, but I thought it was good. Or maybe that was the second season. I forget. It's uh, it's almost like Fargo. I haven't kept up with Fargo. I got turned on to Fargo by the Hawkman over there telling me how great it was. Oh, man, Fargo. I... I have to say, I I I actually love the series more than the first uh, the movie. Personally. That's heavy. That's heavy. Yeah. That's a great movie. I mean, I but... enjoyed the movie, but I think that the TV series took the movie concept and did it a lot better. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I love both a lot. You know what I mean? I gotta still watch the last season of Fargo. They still or. They quit it, right? They don't do Fargo no more. Are they still well. Doing I don't know the last one that they did. I did not see the last one. I know it was Chris Rock, um, and a bunch of other uh, uh, notable people. But Chris Rock is the most notable. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I forgot which time period they were going through, but that was the last one. I didn't see a DVD release of that yet. If I do, I'm going to pick it up and probably check it out. How about Mara Furlan from Babylon 5 and the film with no name, which is a great name. It's like the, it's like the man with no name. And also uh, the vice, the beauty of vice. Another great name. No, you're a bit, you get into Babylon 5, don't you? Well, actually, no. I mean, I've okay. seen, I've seen a few Babylon 5 episodes. Yeah. Um, but I never really connected. I mean, I was always more of a Star Trek, Star Wars kind of guy. I, I and mean, the few episodes I saw were okay, but the, it just never connected with me like some other uh, sci-fi TV series. Yeah. I'm with you. Uh, next up, Willie Garson uh, from Feed, Play It to the Bone, of course. Well, I think that's. Woody Harrelson and Del Toro, uh, not Del Toro, um, Ben Dares is boxers, right? I think. Could be. In like the early know. 2000s, late 90s. Of course, The Rock and, the, and Groundhog Day. You know what I mean? Not to be confused with yeah. Groundhog. You know, we get that. We get, we get a lot of Groundhog Day checks by accident, which is very eye-opening. Um, next up, Richard Gillian from Airplane 2, from Star Kid. He was also in the show Designing Women. Um... Star Kid, when I think of, I never watched it, but the the artwork on the box is horrifying. Always made me go, "This looks like the cheapest fucking movie of, of all time." And he didn't make it, so I, I, it's not giving hard times. You know what I mean? And of course, the great Saginaw Grant, Native American actor. He was in the new Lone Ranger, uh, as well as a bunch of other things. Yeah. Uh, next up. This one will hit. This one will strike a chord for sure. Uh, Charles Grodin 
from, of course, oh, you know, man. films like Beethoven and the other dog movie, Clifford. Midnight Run is probably his, uh, that's his iconic from our time, I think. But actually, that actually I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to correct you on something, dude. Okay. Okay. Clifford is not a dog movie. Not the one that he's it's, like, it's somebody with mental health. It's about somebody with mental no, health, isn't no, it? No, 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 no. Uh, Clifford, okay, is uh, Charles Grodin and Martin yeah. Short. Now, right. Mark, now, now, here's the thing about this. Oh, no, he's just the annoying kid. Yeah, but here's the thing. I lost my mind, yeah. Yeah, Ma- Martin Short is, of course, at this time, probably in his 30s or something. But he's playing like what is supposed to be like a nine or 10 year old kid. Okay. Who's, you know, who actually, uh, is, uh, I, I forget. I think he gets adopted or like, you know, uh, or something like that. And he ends up living with Charles Grodin and Mary Steenberger. And yeah. the thing is that he, uh, ends up having a unhealthy, you know, feelings towards Mary Steenberger and sees Charles Grodin as as uh, opposition. So he tries everything in his power to make Charles Grodin's life difficult. And it's it's a very weird, inter- yes. it, it, it's a weird movie, especially since you know that, of course, that Martin Short is not really a nine or ten year old kid, but they play it up that he is. And it's, it's one of those movies where you kind of like you at first don't understand what's going, then you realize what they're trying to do with the movie, and then you're like, "Ah, oh, okay, I get it now." Martin Short's best films is probably Three Amigos, and um, he did a movie in the '90s where he continuously got hurt in the film. Like that was the gimmick. I remember his face blows up at one point, like a lot of physical comedy, and I remember that being it escapes me right now it's like in the, in the early to mid 90s they made that yeah i mean uh in this Glo- was danny glover's in it it's him and danny glover those are the no, two no, people no. that are in. no are, are, are you sure uh, i it, the one that i think that has danny glover in it uh is also nick nolte is that the one you're thinking of where um, they and the little kid because danny glover if i remember correctly is the cop that's chasing Nick Nolte and Nick Nolte ends up teaming up with Martin Short. I forget the name of the movie. Martin Short. Let me see here. The Short. Yeah, Martin Short's a weird dude. He, he very interest. I like him. Very interesting choices. I liked him his work. I liked his work in the Santa Claus as well, later in life. Um, inner Space. He's great in Inner Space, of course. Let me see here. The film I was talking about is Pure Luck. Oh, yeah. 1991 with Danny Glover. Yeah, I was right. Oh, okay, okay. No offense to you, Big Boss, man. Oh, uh, yeah, my was, mistake. I must be thinking of a different movie. He was a cop or something that had nothing but bad luck. And that's why they did the Pure Luck deal. But I remember that. We'll talk about more of that when he dies. Yeah. Um, Charles, yeah, so Charles Grodin, rest in peace, like everybody else. Uh, marvelous Marvin Hagler passed this year, boxer. Um, originally from Brockton, Massachusetts, which we can pay respect for 
You know what I mean? That's definitely a good look for sure. Um, you know, one of my favorite older boxers from that time, mainly because of the ties to the city, like Rocky Marciano. I love, I like Mar- Rocky Marciano a lot, but he's from Brockton. Um, and uh, a fun story about him is I actually reached out because he was from Brockton. I reached out to him once uh, through his fan, like his website, Hag Hagler. And uh, I tried to get him in a film because I thought, you know, if he still lives in Brockton, fuck it, you know, pay him, pay him some money. I'll take a short drive in. We'll have him for, you know, do a movie, do a little cameo or something. But uh, I talked to him or his wife and they were very sweet, nice people but they now live in France and much like the DMX situation, we cannot afford to bring somebody over from France for a cameo appearance, maybe later in life, but not in this life. You know what I mean? Uh, next up the great Hal Holbrook, which we went into a big love fest of Hal Holbrook not too long ago when we talked about, uh, we were talking about creep show, you know what I mean? And we did the Leslie and Nelson episode. I think we got into our love for Hal Holbrook. Um, all the way up until kind of the end, that dude was kicking ass, taking names. And the last thing I seen Hal Holbrook in was he did a guest spot on Sons of Anarchy. Uh, the Katie, he played Katie Seagull's father. And he played, he had dementia or um, Alzheimer's. I think it was Alzheimer's where they kind of forget what's going on. Yeah. And I remember the way that he played it when he was scared, the way he played scared about not knowing what was going on was like magnificent. You know what I mean? It was like great stuff. Um, Another thing. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing with Hella Holbrook um, that he did a one man show on, Mm -hmm. I think it was on Broadway where he played uh, Mr. Samuel Clemens. uh, Most people know as uh, Mark Twain. Yeah. And he did kind of um um kind of retrospective of of the of uh Samuel Clemens' life and just I I remember only seeing bits and pieces of it because there was a special about Hell Holbrook on like PBS mm-hmm. and they showed clips from that and he he really knew how to, you know, own the stage. You gotta have I mean you can be a great actor, but there's a very few actors, in my opinion, that can honestly hold a stage by themselves. And he was right. one of those. Yeah, he was also uh, in All the President's Men playing Deep Throat. Not, not, not All the President's Men want to be credited with that role, but he was a real <laughs> man and could handle it. Magnum Force, of course, he was, you know, more... more uh, more DMX in me. You know, he was also in The Fog. He played a priest in The Fog. John Carpenter's The Fog. He was great in that. Uh, you know, like we said before, the, the Creep Show, you know, the Star Chamber. We talked about that recently somewhere. Um, I forget where it was, but we got into a good conversation on that. You know, he was in Wall Street. He was in The Unholy, which is a good, you know, classic horror from back in the day. Fletch Lives. He was in The Firm in 1993, I think it was. Now, The Firm was one of those weird... The Firm was interesting because the firm, when The Firm came out, that was so big that we read the book in school. And John Grisham was a cool cat, dude. He was a school was molding him out to be a cool dude. And I own many of John Grisham books uh, via that being like in, introduced to it. And uh, John Grisham, fun fact, was um, 
he wrote um, Christmas with the Cranks, was it? I think yeah. He think he wrote he was he wrote the yeah. novel for Christmas with the Cranks, which we we did on the Christmas episode. We just talked to our boy MCL Mark Christopher Lawrence about that. You know what I mean? Classic, classic stuff. You know what I mean? Um, definitely. So that was you know that was very sad. Larry King. You know what I mean? Interviewer extraordinaire. I've sat I've I've sat down in front of the old YouTube for many an hour to listen to him do an interview. You know, those older interview people, you know, they ask questions that like nowadays people are real kind of soft with their interviews. They don't want to go too deep. They don't want to pry too deep. They don't want to ask anything too personal. You know, Larry King was always a dude that put off a good interview and he lasted fucking a million years too. So kudos for that. Um, I think when I I heard Larry King passed on, I was surprised he was still going to begin with. That's how old he was. But um, he did his show forever. I think that he even entered the kind of the podcast world after his TV show ended. I think he actually had like a web show where he interviewed people. You know what I mean? He was just that good at it, you know. And uh, interviewing, you know, becoming a great interviewer comes with uh, lots of interviews and understanding people and uh, the flow of conversation, which he had a lot of time to kind of master that. You know what I mean? So for shizzle, for sure. Tawny Katane. You know what I mean? What you know about Tawny Katane? She's right up your alley, too. I'll say that. Um... Can you give me a little uh, bit more? I, bachelor I, party. She in bachelor party. She was in. She was on your show. Uh, Hercules, the show you love. She played uh, Dianera, I believe was her name, or Dianera, something like that. Um, she was in the White Snake music video. Uh, she okay, was, she okay. Was very famous for laying across the car. Okay, yeah. Now I know. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I've seen. Yeah, I, I mean. She was a very beautiful woman and 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 very talented. Um, I have to admit, I I, I as uh, as different actors and actresses go, I have to admit, I didn't clue into her as much. But uh, I mean, like in the Hercules uh, series, if she's who I think she is, she did a very good job, and uh, uh, I think she played the Hercules' wife that ends up getting killed. Yeah, she was uh, also in Kevin S. Tenney's. Witchboard, which is a great flick. It's a great, uh, crazy flick. Dude, the the bad guy in Witchboard is a human. Well, he's ghouly, he's ghostly. But he, the look of this dude, I remember as a kid seeing Witchboard and going, the bad dude in this looks like a fucking bad dude. Looks like somebody you don't want to deal with at all. I think that uh, I think Tawny did did some reality TV towards you know in the last couple of years as well. I know she was on fucking, she was on shows like. Married with Children. She was in uh, the new WKRP in Cincinnati that they redid in 91. Um, Now, she just did a lot of cool stuff. CSI, she was a part of, you know, a lot of good stuff, you know. So she, it was cool that she kind of mashed between movies and music, you know, which is definitely a cool thing. It well rounds the the resume when you have ties to uh, both of those art forms. I always appreciate that, whether it's director or actors, you'll see them directing, you know, films as well as music videos and acting in, you know, both music videos and film, which I can always appreciate to the fullest. Um, 
Cloris Leachman, Alexander mm. Hawk. You got any memories of good old Cloris Leachman? I know you know what mine is. Uh, yeah, Cloris Leachman. I mean, most people will probably know her as Flau Blucher from uh, Young Frankenstein. Right. Uh, yeah, she was such a great and talented woman. Of, I mean, yeah, I have her in that. She was also in High Anxiety, another Mel Brooks film. Mel Brooks film, yeah. Yeah, I'd, I actually ended up watching, and I can't remember. You know how you uh, buy, like, DVDs, and they have, like, three or four, like, you know, movies thrown together? And yeah. I got one of those on, and one of the movies was a made-for-TV movie, where she was in, where she's just, uh, a regular housewife who ends up um, finding out that her husband killed a woman that he was having an affair with. Yeah. And it was interesting because, I mean, I, I mean, as most people know, Cloris Leachman from comedy films. And it was the first time I saw her in more of a dramatic role. And she did a very good job. Yeah, she was also in the last picture show with uh, you know Peter Bogdanovich, who just recently passed. Um, that was a big part of her. Now, uh, the, my favorite thing of all time that she ever did was she. There was a version of Hansel and Gretel where she played the witch, and that version of Hansel and Gretel is my all-time favorite version of Hansel and Gretel that there will ever be, probably ever. Period. Um, I used to, it used to be on TV. I caught it on there at first. And then I've, I, I hunted down that DVD for a long time. Um, maybe just a couple clicks on eBay, but that was something I never found in stores. I always tried to find things in the wild where I'd hope to get it in stores. And then when I just abandoned all hope of ever finding it in a store, I would go just buy it on eBay or whatever. But that Hansel and Gretel is fucking incredible. You know, she was in the Norm show. I think she did an episode or two in Norm show, which we'll get into Norm McDonald in a little bit. Unfortunately, he passed last year. We did an episode on him. Uh, my boyfriend's back. You remember that show? That was good times. Mm. I liked that one a lot. Uh, the Beverly Hillbillies with Jim Varney. You know what I mean? That's fun. And a young Rob Schneider. I believe that's Rob Schneider, is it? No, maybe not. Might have been that um, other dude. There was another dude that was Rob Schneider-like that didn't quite make it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even though she was in The Animal. She was in The Animal, the Schneider flick. So maybe uh, maybe there was a crossover there. Uh, Norman Lloyd, next up, from Dead Poet Society. He was in Spellbound, the Hitchcock flick. Uh, FM, The Jaws of Satan. Now, Jaws of Satan's an old, cool horror flick, which... Uh, you can get that on double feature. It might be expensive now, but I remember when Blu-rays, when Shout Factory first started pumping out movies, I feel like they, the first things they ever pumped out was double these double features where you're getting two two for one type deals. So like they know that they would sell. I think that was the deal they took for that, and uh, that's a fun film. Uh, yeah, it's a good time. So definitely check it out. Next up, the boy, the man, the myth, the legend, Norm Macdonald. You know, we did a whole episode on him, so we're not going to go too much into it here. But, you know, great comedian. Um, every time he was in a movie or a television show, it's always good to see him. A stand-up. Very unique with his comedy. And uh, a lot of fun. You know what I mean? It was very unfortunate that uh, 
very unfortunate we lost him and he was still young too you know he was like in his 50s which doesn't seem like that young but it, the older you get the more the younger you realize that is you know what i mean one of those things uh gavin mcleod captain stubing himself uh, you know yeah. what i mean um also on the Mary Tyler Moore show, using Kelly's Heroes, you know, with the young Clint Eastwood, I believe, and a bunch of old-timey actors. Um, yeah, definitely some cool stuff there. Uh, very unfortunate. Helen McElroy. McElroy. McCrory. Uh, from, you know, the Harry Potter. Uh, she was in Peaky Blinders, which uh, was a really big deal. That show was, I always hear good things about Peaky Blinders. I haven't dipped in yet, but I have it in my notes to eventually kind of pop in. You have, you get into Peaky Blinders at all? Oh, I saw a few episodes. Um, Cillian Murphy um, is, is really good in it. Uh, it's, yeah, it's Who's one of those. Hmm? Is that is that uh, Josh, what's his name from like Halloween H2O? And he was big in like the late 90s, like Josh uh, Harnett. Is that Josh Harnett? Uh, not in Peaky Blinders, I don't think so. Who's the star of Peaky Blinders? Cillian Murphy. Oh, okay. Uh, he would be Scarecrow from uh, Batman. Oh, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Yeah, I got him and Josh. You know who Josh Harnett is, right? Yeah, I know who Josh Harnett is. Uh, you might be thinking of like um, Penny Dreadful. Yeah, I am. Josh Harnett was yeah. He was yeah. in that, but yeah. No, no, Peaky Blinders is Cillian Murphy. I know there's other big names, but like I said, I've only seen a few other a few episodes. Yeah. Next up, we had John Madden, recently passed. Um, you know, big foosball. He was a, I believe he was a coach, and then he worked his way into being a commentator. I mainly know him for his video games. You know, growing <laughs> up, I got a, you know, in the, in the early Nintendo systems, you know, to this day, I mean, I don't play them nowadays, but there's still Madden's always been a prominent uh, fucking How, game. Don't lie, you still play them now. I say, yeah, I'll play John Madden. It's not that I wouldn't, it's just that I don't. You know what I mean? <laughs> no beef to John Madden. I got plenty plenty of entertainment out of uh, John Madden's product throughout the years. You know what I mean? Next up, Biz Marquee. You know what I mean? Classic rapper from back in the day. Uh, just a Friend is his big hit that you probably know. And you said he's just a friend. Oh, baby, you, you got what I need. That Jim, um, that was very Thank sad. You. Yeah, that was very sad. I mean, that song is incredibly great. You know, um, I don't know as much about his back catalog as I probably should. I'm a just on the surface Bismarcky fan. But much like a lot of the older, you know, a lot of the older uh, uh, artists, you realize that they had that one hit, but their catalog's actually good, as opposed to nowadays they have that one hit and their ca- their catalog's trash. You know what I mean? So he came from a, you know, they said that about like Sir Mix a lot. The dude that Baby Got Back, you know, stuff like that, where like everybody kind of knows him for Baby Got Back, but his catalog is pretty incredible. You know what I mean? Um, next up, we got Jackie Mason. Someone who would have been a friend of the Boombastic Cast show. You know, we uh, when we had MCL on the show, he was talking about his time on Caddyshack 2 and um, got a little bit into how, like, Jackie Mason cut hard times for taking over for Rodney, you know, and 
taking over for Rodney and Caddyshack is like very big shoes to fill, you know, but a lot of people gave him grief for it. So we give him nothing but love and respect. You got anything you want to say about Jackie Mason? No, other than, I mean, uh, I mean, when we talked about uh, with the MCL on, on the show and how the, uh, like the crew would disrespect him and all that. I mean, it, it, it was a shame. I mean, he was a really great comedian and a lot of fun to watch. I mean, his style is a lot different from uh, Rodney. So, I mean, I mean, I think the biggest problem with, uh, with that film was the fact that it was even pushed through. I mean, after you had Kenny Shack and, and Rodney was such a big thing in that, I mean, it was kind of disservice to poor, uh, uh, Mason to, you know, put him in there and then, you know, People are expecting another Rodney Danger like comedian, which Mason is not, and uh, and unfortunately, you know, he got hard times because of that, which he didn't deserve. He's really funny and really talented, but uh, unfortunately, in that situation, he got the uh, the crap end of the stick. Unfortunately, well, for sure, you know what I mean. Jackie Mason reminds me of like the Jewish Frankie and Magamo. A little bit. <laughs> we have that kind of vibe, and we love them for it. Um, next up, we have, of course, uh, Paul Mooney, the great Paul Mooney. You know, he wrote for Richard Pryor, good friend of Richard Pryor back in the day. Uh, if you've seen him, you'd probably know him. Kind of, I think the most notable thing that he might be known for in the current generation of people that don't really follow comedy is he was on Chappelle's show. He did a few, I think that there was a segment called ask a black person. I think yeah. and he was the star of that where they would go, white people would ask like stupid questions and he'd just like make fun of them. Very funny dude. Super funny. Um, had a little controversy towards the end of his life where, uh, or at least it came out towards the end of his life where, you know, the, him and him and Richard Pryor, uh, I guess him and Richard Pryor has had a falling out because Paul Mooney supposedly tried to fuck his kid. Speculation, speculation. Um, Pryor's kid said it. That's why I'm. All, that's why I'm. I'm speculating. Um, and uh, I don't think he he wasn't a kid at the time though. He was like a grown man at the time, so it's not like it's not like pedophilia shit. Uh, and whatever two adults want to do is what two adults want to do. But I can understand Richard Pryor being like. Uh, don't be fucking my kids, man. No matter how old they are, I think I take that <laughs> standpoint myself. Like if if I ever had a daughter one day, and she became legal age, and she said, "Guess what I got for my fucking eighteenth birthday?" and she says, "Alexander Hawk's penis," me and Hawk are gonna have huge problems over that. <laughs> and I think Hawk's a great dude, and I love him to death. But there's something about stinking that winky where it don't belong. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Well, dude, I promise you, I, I, I'm going to say as far away from anyone that has any bloodlines connected to you, buddy boy. Well, that's nice of you, you know. Um, Paul was also in the Buddy Holly story with uh, Gary Busey. A lot of people claim that to be Busey's best, you know, actorial effort given to our entertainment. Um, he's in the in the army now. You know what I mean? That kind of a little drop off in quality of film. But, you know, I got, got our boy Polly Shore up in there. Um, 
it's like the second leg of his good. Like Paulie Shore has got a couple of movies that are like his good movies. And then I think in the army now is right on the cliff of being that second batch of good. I don't know if I'd put it on the first batch of good. Uh, the great Andy Dick, which I believe we, we, we were in the uh, Hollywood werewolf film directed by James Balsamo with Andy Dick. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Which is always good in the hood. Bamboozled is a film I've never seen, but I've always like seen the cover and wanted to check it out. It's got a magnificent cover. You know what I mean? Oh, Negro Damas. He was Negro Damas in Chappelle's show. Uh, and he did Hollywood. Uh, he did the true Hollywood stories of Prince in the Red Bull energy drink episode. Which was cool in the guy. But yeah, I always I was always a big fan of Paul Mooney. And uh, Paul Mooney was good times. Funny, very funny dude. And been around forever. Um, next up, we have the great... Michael Nader from Dynasty. He was in the 90s TV version of The Flash. He's in Fled with Fishburne and uh, Stephen Baldwin, who is in Biodome with Pauly Shore, which I think I'd put Biodome in the top enchilant of, uh, of, of Pauly Shore films. You know what I mean? I support that. I got to get down with some of that for sure. <laughs> Um, Christopher Plummer from Inside Man, Alexandra, 12 Monkeys, Wolf. Dude's been in a little bit of everything. Um, you know, you a big Christopher Plummer fan over there. I know he's one of the most, one of the, one of the most highly respected actors that was going for a little bit. Oh yeah. Christopher Plummer, a uh, great actor. I mean, I most know him from uh, Sound of Music yeah. and, uh, <clears throat> Yeah, he was one of those actors that just demanded your your, your attention and mm-hmm. as soon as he walked in on the screen. Very talented man. Uh, uh, he also, he, um, I forget the name of the movie, but uh, the movie that Kevin Spacey was doing and then he got outed for, um, you know, uh, pursing himself on, on, on a young man or something. He got yeah. he he got uh, removed, and they brought Christopher Plummer to uh, take his uh, spot and like reshot all the scenes with him. Mm-hmm. I think that was, was one of the last things he did. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Christopher right. Plummer. Yeah, you're right about that, actually. Yeah, Christopher he covered Plummer. That show. Hmm? Yeah, that show that he did, House of Cards. It, it was the movie. I, they made oh, the a movie? show of the movie later with I think Brendan Fraser, but the movie itself. Yeah, they brought him in, and uh, but yeah, Christopher Plummer was was an icon. Definitely, definitely missed him. Yeah, for sure, definitely for shizzle for shizzle on that dude. Next up, Marky Post. All right, Marky Post. For me, the main thing I think of her is she uh, she was the the. She was the lawyer, and don't let Marky fool you. It's a girl. She was one of the main lawyers on Night Court, which I love. Night oh, Court, man, I love that very, woman. Very attractive, very smart uh, lawyer from Night Court. You know what I mean? She, I think her and um, what's his name? Uh, uh, Larroquette, you're thinking of? No, not Larry. Well, her and Larroquette they squared off, but she had like on the show. I believe she had a romance with um, uh, Harry with, Anderson. Uh, Harry Anderson. Harry Anderson. Yeah. Rest in peace to Harry Anderson. He he passed away a year or two ago as well. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I, so I, I was always a big fan. I love Night Court. My memory of Night Court, other than the episodes, is I remember just that music. Like, I would hear that music, and I would – I'd be, at that point, I'd already be in bed, but I would hear the music, and I would go to the, the staircase, and I'd watch it from the top of the stairs. Mm-hmm. And then every, when my, when, every now and then, I'd be allowed to come down and watch the episode, you know, even though I was supposed to be asleep. So, like, I, I, you, you hear that with people when they talk about – you know, old, old shows and old movies, the older folks, they, they sneak in and then their parent, they have that special moment when their parent lets, lets them watch it. That's kind of that, that moment for me was for Night Court. You know, and I love Night Court. Bull, got Bull killing it. Larry Cat, dude, oh, yeah. devastating. Great show. Anybody who's never seen the show, definitely check it out because it's a, it's a lot of fun. Um, next up, Marion Ramsey. You know what I mean? She's from the Police Academy films playing Laverne Hooks. You know what I mean? She was in all of them, I believe. Um, very cute. Um, she was like the one with the, she had like the, like the real low voice, but she'd get crazy if she needed to type deal. She was well, that character. Actually, you know what's funny? Um, I forget where, I think I saw an interview, or one, uh, interview with her once yeah. where I mean, when she's on 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 uh, shows, she's always talking this very, you know, kind of, you know, soft, soft little voice, and and the and whenever she got, you know, very angry and all that, that's when you know she started yelling and being more, you know, assertive and all that. Yeah. And it was funny in the interview, she said that she actually mimicked her little quiet mouse-like voice after Michael Jackson. Ah, very yeah. interesting. You know what I mean? Um, fun fact with us is uh, I'm an associate producer on uh, One an Institution, a story of Police Academy. Nice documentary in the works. And we were lucky enough to get her before she passed, which I was always super happy uh, that we could get her for that. So be on the lookout for that in the future, maybe even later this year. Um, next up. We have the great Anne Rice, author extraordinaire, um, done a whole bunch of books, you know, like horror theme books. Her most probably notable book is Interview with the Vampire, mainly because it was the book. I mean, the book turned into the movie, the Brad Pitt, um, Tom Cruise. Um, who's the girl in that? She's young. Not Claire Danes, is it? recording is in progress i guess which is nice thanks for the shout um yeah, do you remember yeah, you just you just jumped right out man i know it wasn't me it was the computer it was technology blame technology yeah, it was ann rice threw us out uh do you remember who the girl was in interview with the vampire kristen dunst kristen dunst a kristen dunst that's right kristen dunst yeah i remember you guys used to date back in the day well, we don't like to talk about that. Well, she don't um, like to talk about it, but it was it was a dark, dark time. Oh, that's no good. <laughs> but yeah, Anne Rice, you know that was recently. Anne Rice is somebody else that her books are so big and they have such an old timey feel to them that I thought Anne Rice died a long time ago. I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna be that dude. When I think of Anne Rice, I always used to see the books, and they were so old-looking and stuff, and the themes were so old that I almost put her in a category of, like, Mary Shelley, 
You know what I mean? Mm. Wrote like fucking Dracula. Um, uh, actually, Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein. Did she write Frankenstein? She wrote Frankenstein. Oh shit! Actually, yeah. actually, uh, a funny thing is that yeah. Mary Shelley is technically the first person who created science fiction. Hmm. At nineteen years old. It's a good time to create it. Yep. Definitely. A lot of people like to try to say it's Jules Verne or you know one of those, but no, she came way before them. And and uh, I mean Frankenstein is a science fiction story. I mean yeah. it's a horror science fiction story, but it's science fiction. None with that. I definitely support that to the fullest, fullest. You know what I mean? Um, much respect and apologies to uh, to Anne Rice. You know what I mean? Maybe I can do better with Paul Ritter from the Libertine and Hannibal Rising. He was in Harry Potter, the Half Blood Prince. You know the Libertine. I like the Libertine. Um, Johnny Depp, quite po- you know, he goes back and forth. Libertine's middle of the road for Johnny Depp. He has a great quote. It opens up with a great quote that I always figured I'd hear in some hip hop album somewhere, and I never heard it. Um, but Libertine's good. Hannibal Rising, I, I, that was kind of fun for what it was, you know what I mean? Um, and the Harry Potter films, I never really got into. But I, didn't you like Harry Potter? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Harry Potter is a lot of fun. I. I prefer the books over the movies. I know it's kind of cliche because people are like, well, everyone says the books are better than the movies. But, yeah, I, it's the books are definitely a lot better. And, and one of the pluses about, you know, the books is that you can go in more in depth in the characters. And, and when you're doing a film, a lot of times I find that people will cut out important you know storylines so they can have like more special effects cool shots yeah. which yes i understand that you know you want to see the car flying you want to see the whomping willow but you know it's like dude if you sacrifice the story for those cool shots then the cool shots are just eh right i'm with you yeah. i'm definitely with you on that uh, next up, we have the great Tanya Roberts. Okay, she unfortunately she passed really young too. So I think she might have been in her fifties. She's like, I go, it's young. Now that we're, I'm approaching forties. Hawkman's approaching the forty spot. It's uh, it's definitely one of those things where you go, oh, ten years ain't that fucking ain't that far away. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now, she was in the Yum Yum Girls, not to be confused with the Yum Yum Flower. You know what I mean? From uh, Yum Yum Bedlam, the new ICP album. Uh, she's in Fingers with Harvey Keitel, which is a classic film. Taurus Trap, you know, uh, Full Moon, I believe, made that. Um, that's a very creepy flick. It's a good times. Um, you know, she did a little bit of everything and all that silk stockings, which I've talked about on the show being a fan. It was like a sexy, you know, more sexy X-Files, triple <laughs> X-Files. Um, do you, yeah, Tanya Roberts, you think of anything when you think of Tanya Roberts? You know, she was on that 70s show for uh, 81 episodes as Min- Midge Pinchietti. You know I mean? Yeah, yeah, she, uh, yeah, she was the, 
the um, a wife of, of the, the na- neighbor. She was the neighbor's wife, yeah. Yeah, she was the neighbor's wife. She was hot stuff. I remember oh, that neighbor's wife yeah. was hot as hell. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking smoking hot. Rest in peace to that. Yeah. Um, next up, we have Peter, Skidari, Peter Sidari. All right. From Bosom Buddies and uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the TV show. Oh, and, a- and, and, and. Yeah. The New Heart Show. And the New Heart Show. Yes. Yeah, you can't forget the New Heart Show. Nah. Yeah. Which never. Yeah, he was on that. Um, I I remember that when he passed away, uh, Tom Hanks was on a. Uh, it could have been Jimmy Kimmel, could be Jimmy Fallon, one of those talk shows. Yeah. And he talked about you know the passing of his friend, and said that you know they still kept in touch, and and uh, uh, he actually talked about a funny incident when they were doing Booze and Buddies. And he said that, you know, he and Peter would, you know, constantly improv. They, you know, they have the script and just keep on going and riffing and all that. And uh, uh, one of the early directors they had on the show, you know, said, okay, so let them go. And then when he uh, uh, started shooting again, they started adding new stuff. He's like, you know... Make up your mind to have to set up the shots and all that. What are we doing? It's like, oh, but we even have even more ideas and better ideas. And they kept on riffing. And and the poor director was like, I don't know how to shoot this. You're not staying anywhere near the script. I don't know what to do. Right. Yeah. The good riffers. I remember around the time that I heard about him dying was around the time that I was, um, I was getting into those Isaac Cappy videos about Tom Hanks. You know what I mean? I remember those two things linking up. So I had a, and I like Tom Hanks. As long as you didn't do what he's accused of, I, I enjoy Tom Hanks. The, um, and I remember thinking, wow, what a weird, what a weird fucking vibe. What a weird deal. Um, next up, we have Willard, Willard Scott, Today mm-hmm. Show Weatherman. I know you were a big fan of Willard. Well, I mean, Willard, I mean, what, what I enjoyed about Willard Scott was the fact that, you know, he was a weatherman, but he made he he made a persona. He he made it bigger because I mean, I can't think of any other weather men or women that you know you you can't name off the top of your head. But Willis Scott, uh, I always remember that he would always have these like birthday shout outs for you know a lot of people reaching like milestones, like ninety years old or hundred years old, and yeah. And, and and he was always you know very likable and and you know he he was probably the only good you know I mean watching the news usually you have you just tone out because I mean the news reporters and all that are forgettable they're boring they 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 have no personality so but Willis Scott had a personality he brought you in he wanted he made you want to actually watch the news. Very colorful. Yeah, he made you actually give a, a crap about the weather report. <laughs> you notice the, the weathermen are usually the most colorful in the bunch for whatever reason, you know? Well, probably because they realize that most people are falling asleep during their segments. That's true. Speaking of falling asleep, uh, George Segal passed away. 
from, of course, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. You know what I mean? He was in, uh, you know, the Goldbergs. I believe he was the grandfather in the Goldbergs. That was a big one. He's a look who's talking, if I remember correctly. Um, you know, you see his face. He's very Charles Grodin like, I feel. He's got that vibe, that Charles Grodin vibe a little bit. Um, very entertaining. You know, I always enjoyed seeing him around. You know what I mean? Do you have any George Seagull, uh, love or memories? I'm not, I, I liked him. Uh, no, not really. It didn't have a lot of, uh, a lot of things uh, about George. I mean, I enjoyed him, but uh, I guess I never really connected with him that much. It happens. Next up, we have Shock G from the Digital Underground passed away. Very sad. You know, Humpty Hump. Um, you know, anybody out there gets down with the Humpty Dance, you know, probably one of the biggest songs of all time when it comes to, at least on, you know, top 20 from that era, I'd say for sure. That's one of those songs that you'll, you you I used to work in the wedding business, uh, assisting DJs. That's how DJ Stan the Man came about. And the Humpty Dance and Jump Around. These are songs that you'd always hear. And when you hear them, it doesn't matter who you are. I've seen three-year-old kids all the way up to 90-year-old women dancing to both of those songs, to Jump Around and the Humpty Dance. And it's funny because it's so not their genre, you know what I mean? But the songs are so good and they have so much hype to them that you just can't help but move. Um, I'd never seen the Humpty Dance live. I did see Jump Around live. Uh, I know that La Coca Nostra, who is, you know, at one point was made up of House of Pain and uh, Slain from Boston and Ill Bill from New York. And they did a set and uh, towards the end of the set, they did, they did jump around and I've never seen a crowd move like that in my life. You could feel the wall shaking when they did that song. It was just, it was probably one of the most cool, probably top five coolest concert experiences I've ever been in my entire life. Um, yeah. And that, so that's kind of relatable, you know what I mean? To that, but digital underground, great. Um, they introduced the world to Tupac, you know what I mean? Tupac, you, you, we might never have had Tupac, who was quite arguably one of the best rappers there ever was. Um, poetic, you know, a lot of good shit to say. Um, almost like a revolutionary in music. He was like the Bob Marley of hip hop in a way, a little bit. Um, you know, he came out through the digital underground, you know what I mean? So, like, you got that, you know. And Shock G was kind of the face of it, which is a beautiful thing. But yeah, I was sad when he died. That was uh, that sucked, um, for sure. Next up, Greg C- Gregory Sierra from Towering Inferno. He was also in John Carpenter's Vampires, which some will argue is the best, the last, not the best. I can't say that, but it was the last good John Carpenter film. People will say the vamp- uh, Vampires, and. Um, now, this is an actor you might not know by just the name or maybe even by the face. He had a great look. Now, the reason why this gentleman pops in my head so much, I'm a gigantic All in the Family fan. And he was in, he was in an episode of All in the Family. And it always stuck out with me because of the madness of it. And, you know, the whole the plot of the episode is somebody paints a swastika on Archie's front door because they thought that he was Jewish. And so, like, there's, like, a Jewish mafia, almost, that comes in. And it's and this is the main dude that 
you know, he go, they go in to say, okay, you guys need help. Like you're being attacked. We want to protect you. You know what I mean? Doing the right thing. And the whole episode's about kind of like this hate group and this Jewish group. Uh, almost, you know, they have this long relationship of, of beef. And I know the episode ends with, you know, Archie's a, like a racist character. You know what I mean? He, you know, he's, he's, he's like, he's very dumb with his way of thinking and he says crazy things. And, you know, by the end of the episode, him and this, his character and, um, what's his name? Gregory's character become kind of friendly towards the end. And then when, Gregory's character leaves and he goes out to his car after this big scene with Archie. Um, it's like a hopeful, it's almost like a hopeful scene for like a better day, a better future. And he goes out to the car and the car blows up and they killed fucking him in front of Archie's house. And I remember that being so wow. I know all in the family is one of those shows that was, it was a comedy for sure. Dark comedy. Um, Every now and then it would do an episode that would flip you on your head and you'd really go, wow, like that's something like that kind of makes you think. Um, and that episode always stuck with me. So like I, I got big respect and love to that dude for that episode because it's probably one of my favorite all in the family episodes. If we were going to do the, this, this top 10 list, it would definitely be in my top 10. You know what I mean? So I got to give respect for that. Next up, the great Dean Stockwell. Okay. You know, you know him from probably Blue Velvet, um, the David Lynch film, um, playing a weirdo character like everybody does in David Lynch films. Not as not as equally like Barry rides the line with the Dennis Hopper weirdo. They kind of go hand in hand in that film with madness levels. Um, perfect David Lynch character. And also Quantum Leap. He's probably most known, I'd probably say, for Quantum Leap, which was a USA TV show with Scott Bakula um, back in the 90s. And I believe it, I never really watched it. I didn't like the show. I'm not going to lie. Um, I'm not a big Bakula fan. I like him more nowadays. When I was a kid, I didn't like him. And, and they were all, I caught them right. Like that would end and then wrestling would come on, I believe. I know sometimes there would be Murder, She Wrote, and then wrestling. But I want to say there was a period of time where it was Quantum Leap and then wrestling, WWF Raw or whatever would come on. Or maybe it was after. And that was the only time I ever really seen Quantum Leap uh, was like uh, that because of those circumstances. But I know people, I believe Mike Calvin, we've had on the show before in the Dude Shot DJ Stand the Man, I believe he was a big Quantum Leap fan. I know he's a big Scott Bakula fan, you know, which how could he not be? Uh, Scott Bakula seems like a cool dude. When I was younger, I would see people in movies and I would go, oh, they seem so cocky. I don't like them. Like, I'd kind of base them off of their characters they played. Um, And then as you grow up and you make movies and such, you go, oh, well, it's just a sign of a good actor that they can kind of get under your skin or make you feel this certain way just by being them. You know what I mean? Uh, So I always, uh, so Bacula, I can't give too much credit for And we want to get him on the show to talk about um, (laughs) Lords of Illusions, which is, I think his Lord of Illusions, I think is Bacula's best attempt, best efforts given to the art world. He's also in that Matt Damon movie, the, uh, uh, no, not the intruder. It's the one where Matt Damon plays a dude working for a company and he like, he's, there's somebody at the company stealing money. It might even be Matt Damon. 
and uh, Bacular and this other cop come in to investigate, and yeah. they're real dummy characters. Yeah, I I, yeah, that that is the. Uh, it's one uh, word. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's uh, uh, informant. informant. The informant. Yeah, you got. It. Yeah, I like that. I own that. That movie is so good. I bought it. Yeah, um, I mean Dean Stockwell, a uh, big fan. Uh, one cool little uh, thing about him that you might or might not know. Yeah, is that um, uh, there was a series of movies called the Thin Man series, which had uh, William Powell and Myrna Malloy. Hmm. Um, and the very last one they did, which was called the Song Song of the Thin Man, Dean Stockwell, as I think maybe ten years old, played their little son Nicky in that movie. So, yeah, so he has ties to that entire, you know, world of Hollywood that is so long gone. Mm. And, you know, you can only see in black and white now. Um, There was a movie, I forget the name of it, where he plays a real sociopath, you know, mind-numbing sociopath that really, you know, uh, put the, the, the creeps and the scares into you. It yeah. was like a made-for-TV movie, um, and you know he's like stalking uh, the uh, this uh, this couple. And uh, one of the things is that uh, as he's doing this, you don't find out till the end that he's actually the sheriff of this little town that they're in. Is that Paris, Texas? You're talking about? Could be. I I don't know. I mean, Wim, it's, Wim Wenders' film, I believe. He was in that. I, I just can't quite remember what he played. And that's a great flick. Harry Dean Stanton's in it as well. Maybe that's my... Uh... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, this one is like... Uh, he's he's a serial killer. Do you remember what, what era? No, no. I All I know is that he was targeting them and, uh, and he was setting things up uh, to make look, it look like they, they were... The, the the people doing the killings, but it was really him. Uh, the one scene I remember uh, most of all was the fact that uh, the FBI agents that's following these uh, this couple they end up uh, getting uh, 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 he sends in a tip to them and saying that oh yeah that these people that they're looking for is at a mall and they go and they pick up these two teenagers that, you know, the couple just gave them the credit cards Mm. to try to throw off the track. And then they realize that something is off because the person who called in the tip said that they saw the couple with the credit cards buying stuff, not that, you know, someone just had their credit cards. So they knew something was up because it was obvious that, I mean, these two teenage kids looked nothing like the couple that, you know, something was going on. And, of course, they end up coming in in the nick of time to save the couple from being killed by Dean Stockwell's character. Yeah, the killer stranger, no? Dune, he was in The Legend of Billie Jean. That was a big deal, I remember. To Live and Die in L.A. is a big deal. Once bitten. Um. Blue Velvet, like we said. He was in Beverly Hills Cop 2, which was good times. Yeah, 
Yeah. You know, using uh, Catch Fire. Uh, he played Charles Manson in something, which is very interesting. You know what I mean? Chasers. He's in Chasers. Um, the Langoliers, of course, one of my oh, favorite. Yeah. One of my favorite, most hated Stephen King movies. Oh, come on. It's one of the best Stephen King uh, That's what I said. One of my favorite, less... most hated. <laughs> yeah. I love that I mean, movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Steen Stockwell and Bronson Pinchot are the best parts in that, in that uh, miniseries. I love it. He's in Mikhail's Navy. Yeah. That's a good time. The Rainmaker to go back to John Grisham to bring John Grisham back into it. And also to bring, he was in Captain Planet as well to bring that back into it. We already talked mm. about that once this time in this show. Next up, we have uh, Cicely Tyson from The Help Diary of a Blad Mac, Mad Black Woman and um, Fried Green Tomatoes. You know what I mean? Very cool stuff. Um, Melvin Van Peebles, you know, father of Mario Van Peebles. This, this Melvin was like a legendary icon in black exploitation film. Um, you know what I mean? Going way back. Um, he was just uh, all over the place. You know what I mean? He's the man. Director in his own right. You know what I mean? Belly full. Three pickup men for Herrick. Story of three day pass. He did an episode of the Cosby show. Sweet, sweet backs, badass song. That's a big one. Don't play us cheap. You know, vroom, vroom, vroom. The short film, you know what I mean? Good stuff. Um, but yeah, like Bellyful, like I said before. Uh, Confessions of an ex-doofus, itchy-footed mother. And I, in 2008, he did that. He has all my respect for even naming a movie that. Um, yeah, royalty. You know, he's uh, like probably first generation... Film royalty, and then Mario Van Peebles took over. Mario Van Peebles, actor and director uh, in his own right. And uh, the beginning of uh, the Van Peebles kind of legacy. He could have had somebody else that was intertwined into it, um, but maybe not so. You know what I mean? We got Jessica Walter passed away this year. She was the mom from Arrested Development. For anybody out there that gets down with Arrested Development, which is a great show. I know Mike Calvin, who we mentioned earlier, is a big Arrested Development. He likes Quantum Leap and Arrested Development. He does double features, believe it or not. Very scary stuff, but he does it. He's a real man's man. Um, as we come to a close, of course, we have, you know, Betty White from the Golden Girls, you know, I- icon. You know, you someone who... The whole, during the whole pandemic, it was, uh, take anybody, but don't take Betty White. You know, she's swung an entire, she's been in the, in this business for like 60 years, it feels like. Started out when she was younger, rolled all the way up. She was about to turn a hundred years old. So yeah, she's about to turn a hundred years old, probably more than 60 years. She was in the biz. You know what I mean? And iconic. Plus, she also has, one of the best lines in horror cinema. Really? Yeah. Oh, the from Lake Placid? If I had a dick, I'd tell you to suck it. Classic. Yes. And of course, only Betty White could deliver that in such a way that was badass and hilarious at the same time. Yeah. I believe that for sure. 
But yeah, oh, Betty, Betty White uh, was an icon. She'll live on forever in our memories. I mean, uh, I mean, she she was the same kind of caliber as Ed Asner. That right. no matter how old she was getting, she wasn't slowing down. She wasn't, you know, saying, "Oh, you know, I've done some great stuff. I'll just take it easy and retire." No, she kept on working and. And and she made our lives better because of it. I like that. You know what I mean? She was on one of my favorite. Did three episodes of Empty Nest, which is a very underrated TV show that I like a lot. It's funny that I have a Empty Nest, the show that I used to watch as a kid, that had disappeared off the planet for the longest time ever. And I would always hope to see some Empty Nest on some channel. You know, every now and then I would go and see Empty Nest playing at like 3 in the morning. And I'd go click on it and I wouldn't have the channel or whatever. It'd be like a weird deal. And uh, I had a hospital stay a few years back. And uh, I remember being up at, up late one night just because I couldn't sleep looking for something to watch. And I stumbled into a fucking Empty Nest marathon. And it was like... It was like a sign from God. <laughs> it was good times. And then it wasn't as good as I remembered it being, but I'm still happy that I got to watch it. It was a very comforting moment for me. You know what I mean? Um, also, we have Clarence Williams III, a gentleman you brought up earlier. Uh, yeah. Iconic. Dude, there can never be... There will never be another Clarence Williams. The way we talked, there will never be another Nick Cage, you know, stuff like that, Jack Nicholson's. Um, there'll never be another Clarence, you know. What I mean, from Mod Squad is probably like the older generations probably know him from Mod Squad. You know, I love him, and I'm gonna get you, sucker. One of the greatest comedies ever made, uh, Tales from the Hood. You know, his, him and Tales from the Hood is iconic. You know, nobody could have done that. Like him, if you took him out of it and put in like Keith David, it just ain't gonna work. You know what I mean? I uh, like they try to do it the sequel. Um, but we give nothing but love to Rusty Kandif, our boy. We send that out to him. Equally as good as Mario Van Peebles, if not better. Um, but Clarence Williams the third in Night in, 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 in Tales from the Hood is fucking incredible. It's a horror movie, yeah. Uh, it's a low budget Hollywood uh, horror movie, and it's fucking incredibly great. I love Tales from the Hood. I think it's probably. It's got to be in my top five list of best horror movies from the 90s. Such a great film. I was hyped about that when it was coming. And when I got it, I wasn't let down. I loved it. And to this day, I love it. Um, and yeah, part of the charm of that film is Clarence. You know what I mean? Um, that's right, Clarence. You go down. Not that Clarence. That's a different Clarence in the movie. But um yeah. That, I loved him, dude. He was he was the greatest, dude. And he was so fucking intense as an actor. He was one of those dudes that could just give you a look. Like he could have played a, he could have been. He was this. He was like a bad guy in that horror movie. But I could almost see him being like uh, a hands-on, like a real human person that like strangled people or something. I could see him have that. The intense look that he had, I could only equate to fucking what's his name, Javier Javier Bardem or whatever. Who's the? Oh yeah, yeah. From like. No Country for Old Men, that dude. Because the other, the other, the other dude from like My Dad the Hero is not in Tim in, in New York. New York is not an intimate. He's a, he looks like a, a doofus. Much respect, but um, 
the dude from No Country for Old Men, when he wants to give you a scary face, you're going to be scared by it. You're going to be uh, intimidated by it. And that was the same deal with, I think, Clarence Williams III. I know you're a gigantic fan. Do you want, what do you want to say about Clarence? Um, I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny because, I mean, earlier last year we talked to MCL and he talked about working with him on uh, Tales from the Hood. And, you know, in the stories he told us, you know, kind of, you know, just hit home of how just a, a powerful and, and force of nature he was. And it's, unfortunately, I mean, when you have actors like him, and, and like Matt said, there's only going to be one of him. Yeah. N- no one can even, you know, duplicate who he was. And he was a a, a powerhouse. For sure. And, uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, like Matt said, you take him out of Tales from the Hood or any other film uh, or TV series he was in and put another actor in it, it just would not have worked. Yeah. I'm with you 110% on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, another gentleman that you brought up in the beginning of the show. Michael K. Williams, you know what I mean? Yeah. Most notably for me, at least, I'd have to say Omar from The Wire was is big. That's gigantic. Um, you know, The Wire is like, The Wire is the what, what Scarface, the movie, was to the hip-hop community. I feel like The Wire is the television equivalent in the hip-hop community. You know what I mean? He's also in 12 Years a Slave. You know, Boardwalk Empire and Chalky White. I liked him a lot in Boardwalk Empire as well. Um, great stuff. You know, I was I was a little shocked when I heard he died. You know, he was recently in Lovecraft County, a country, which was, you know, that was a cool show. Um, the dude did a lot of really cool stuff, you know what I mean? And it's sad because he was like uh, raw talent, like super. You watched him, you could tell he was super talented, like Philip Seymour Hoffman, dude. Like there's these yeah. dudes that are super fucking talented. And um, I think that in, in situations like them, I think drugs are used to kind of clean the slate with them. So they'll go, they'll pour their self into a role and become that character. And then when it's over, I think they get out and they bury themselves in drugs to the point where they almost wipe their brain of what it used to be. And then they recreate what the new character is or try and fall into place with who they are for a little bit before they got to create another character. And uh, so I equate equate him to Hoffman, you know what I mean? Talent wise, as well as tragedy, you know, it's very unfortunate. Um, But yeah, that was very sad when he died that, that, you know, out of all the folk, out of newer, newer people, out of newer people when they die and I go, Oh, that kind of sucks. That's really, that's a tragedy. That's like talent gone way too soon type deal. He's definitely probably one of the, the last people that I've thought that for when I heard that he died was like, you know, a lot of people, I hate to say it and be a dickhead, but you'll see a lot of people that only do a couple good things. And if they, they die, you know, it's almost like, well, at least they got their best work out of the way type deal. Like at least they'll have something to be known for where within Michael's case, he's got, he left behind a lot of great work, but I think he had a lot of great work ahead of him too. Um, so, like, with that, it's kind of really, you know, I hate to say anybody's more tragic than anybody else, um, you know, but unfortunately, you know, 
you know, time will be the, time will be the, 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 the component that clarifies whether or not it's true. But yeah, it was very sad when he passed. What's your, uh, what's your take on Michael? I know you were a fan. Yeah, huge fan. Um, I don't know if you saw it, but this, it was on Netflix, a uh, series called Hap and Leonard. No. Okay. Great series. I think they only ended up doing three seasons. Okay. And um, it takes place in the early 80s, I think, uh, in a southern uh, southern town. And uh, Michael uh, plays uh, a, uh, a black gay man. Yeah. Uh, in in that in that situation, and uh, uh, he. Uh, his his friend is is a white man, uh, and it's and the two of them. The whole story is that both of them end up losing their father on the se- fathers on the same day, and they ended up and they were young guys at the time, so they ended up pretty much becoming brothers because yeah. of that situation. And the two of them, you know, uh, have bonded and 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 you know, watch out of each other ever since. And I love, I love Michael K. Williams because uh, I saw an interview where, you know, he made a comment that because of like the scar on his face and all that, that, you know, everyone wants to put him in, you know, a specific type of role because, but when, when, for example, when he was uh, in the wires, Omar, one of the things that he said was he and the director would talk, and while everyone else, you know, might swear, say, you know, fuck you, fuck this, fuck that, they uh, they didn't want his character to swear at all yeah. because that would demean his character. That would, and they wanted his character to be. You know, kind of on a different plane, and that was that was how I always saw Michael K. Williams with his character was he would always take his characters and well, there's where the character is written, how it's written in the script, and he'd always elevate them a few notches above the script, yeah. no matter what the script is, and I mean, Happen Leonard was one of those where you know he. I think he took that for specifically to do something new, to push his boundaries. He was one of those actors that just wanted to, he didn't want to just be a great actor. He wanted to, you know, say something with his art. Right. Uh, and I believe that he did that. And, and he, he was gone way too soon. The first time I remember him was uh, bringing out the dead, played a drug dealer. You know what I mean? The Nicolas Cage Scorsese vehicle, which is kind of an underrated film. I think it's where John Goodman's in it too. I think it's a really good film. Uh, he's a dude that kind of, he was in The Sopranos, an episode of The Sopranos. He was a dude that like, um, we said before with Tony, uh, Katane that it was, he jumped over, he did a lot of music videos. He worked on a Marilyn Manson music video, you know, Madonna music video, um, as well as these cool films. You know what I mean? He did The Traps in the Closet. R. Kelly video that that was a big deal. That video was huge when it came out. That was before it, uh, before he went away. Went away. You know what I mean? He was also in Gone Baby Gone, which was a Boston movie. 
You know, he was in Ghostbusters, which was a Boston movie, uh, but not a good look. Not a good look at all for Boston. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, the Incredible Hulk in 2008. You know what I mean? He was more of like an extra role, I feel. Brooklyn's Finest was a fun flick. I believe that's 50 Cent. Um, you know what I mean? The Road, which was a good flick. A post-apocalyptic film, you know what I mean? But yeah, he was kind of all over the place doing it, doing it big, which... You know, you gotta love, gotta have love for that. He was in the more rope, the Robocop, um, Kill the Messenger, Inherent Vice, you know. Uh, the be- Inherent Vice is a terrible movie as far as Paul Thomas Anderson movies go because he's such a great filmmaker. I thought Inherent Vice was kind of not good. But the one thing I liked about Inherent Vice is that we worked with Eric Roberts on a film called The House Across the Street. <laughs> and if my timeline is correct, he went from Dark Knight to House Across the Street to uh, to that movie to Inherent Vice, which I gotta I gotta applaud and say that's cool because at least I feel like uh, the aura of the Dark Knight was on him when he got with us, and then our aura was on him when he was with Paul Thomas Anderson. So, uh, but maybe maybe that's why Inherent Vice wasn't that good because he went from Dark Knight to a movie that. <laughs> A movie that wasn't The Dark Knight to uh, to another movie. So maybe if he did, he went right from The Dark Knight to an in, uh, incoherent vice. Maybe it would have been a better flick. Boardwalk Empire, great. The Gambler that was shot locally in Mass. I think was he a New York dude? He almost sounds like he might have been a yeah, New York. Yeah, I think dude. he was. Um, yeah, and the the Scar. I love the Scar, man. Motherless Brooklyn. He was a, a part of, which was. Um, um, directed by, um, who was the dude that was the Incredible Hulk before, or, uh, Edward Norton. Yeah. Edward Norton, I believe, directed Motherless, Motherless Brooklyn. I haven't yeah. seen it, but I heard good things. Um, you know, he's still, this dude's still got a couple. He did Epis for Family. I didn't even realize he was a part of that, which is the Bill Burr animated show on Netflix, I think. Um, yeah, he's still got a couple projects waiting to come out because it's been, you know what I mean? It's been so long. I mean, it's been, it's, it, it was just last year. Um, like we're looking at Ed Asner, still got like five projects still ready to pop off, you know, a lot of animated stuff, of course, but nonetheless, you know what I mean? Uh, speaking of voiceover stuff and animated projects, Samuel E. Wright, uh, left us last year. Uh, he's kind of known for, I guess, the best thing, Sebastian and a Little Mermaid. Is probably what he's known for the most, I'd say. Um, he also played Dizzy in the film Bird. It was a Clint Eastwood film about the, uh, I think, a blues singer, Charlie Bird Parker. And um, I can't lie and say that I've seen it, but I've heard that it was really good. You know what I mean? Uh, so I do want to check it out eventually. I think I do actually own it. I just have yet to, uh, yet to grab it. You know what I mean? So we'll see, we'll see how that goes. Um, you know, what do you, you remember watching The Little Mermaid as a kid? Sebastian, loving it. Under oh, the sea. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, it, Little Mermaid, the best part of it was Sebastian and also Scuttle, you know. Um, yeah. But Sebastian, uh, definitely, I mean, I, I remember saying, it's under the sea, that song, and... And you know, kiss the girl. Wow, wow. 
Yep. But yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, those, those two songs is what made Little Mermaid such a hit in my, in my opinion. It was because of him. Yeah. We got uh, next up. We have Sydney Poitier, iconic, iconic. Dude's iconic. You know what I mean? Um, comes from films like In the Heat of the Night, Masterpiece, which I will say, I believe in In the Heat of the Night was the first time an African-American actor ever hit like a, a like a, a, a Caucasian person on film, if I remember correctly. That was a big yeah. deal. And we pay respect to that whole scene in DJ Stan the Man when DJ Stan the Man hits a, an obnoxious white person, drunk white person. That's our little nod to In the Heat of the Night. You know what I mean? Um, he's also in Lilies in the Field of the Field. Guess who's coming to dinner? The Defiant Ones. You know, he's been involved with a lot of, you know, ch- ch- changing, social, socially changing a lot of things, which you got to give him a pat on the back and big kudos for that. Um, yeah, I, I also want to throw in a uh, underrated gem that yeah. he's called Sneakers. I know. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Spike Lee movie. It's not Spike Lee, is it? Spike Lee didn't do that one. No, no, no. Uh, that he was Redford. Uh, I yeah, Robert Redford and Aykroyd. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think uh, Spike Lee directed that. No, no, no. I'm thinking the sneakers, uh, as in like on your feet, sneakers. The Spike Lee joint. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, I uh, no. Spike Lee. I did, did so, sleepers. Sleepers. I think is Spike Lee. I think uh, that's got De Niro in it. I think that's Spike Lee, but I could be wrong. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, sneakers is a great one. Sydney Portier is that. Um, yeah, Sydney Portier. Uh, also, he directed Ghost Dad. I yeah, mean, I was, we were going to get into the directorials in a second. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean Sydney Portier. Uh, what one thing I loved was I was reading a um, a, a thing uh, that you know he uh, he said uh, was when he was a young man he saw an actor that he was uh, a huge fan of. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he, he went up and asked for an autograph and the the actor gave him such a, you know, dismissive and annoyed attitude. I mean, he signed, gave him the autograph, but kind of made Sidney Poitier feel kind of like shit. Mm. And he said because of that experience that even if he's running to catch a plane, and someone uh, says, oh, Sidney Poitier, I love you. I, w- I would love to have an autograph or anything. What he would say is, come run with me. And he'd, he'd sign it as he's running to the airport, uh, to the plane. I mean, the thing was that he always treated everyone with respect. And if anyone ever came up to him and asked to talk to him or asked for an autograph, he always took the time and always, you know, wanted people to feel good about themselves. And I mean, every time you, you watch one of his films, it's, it, it always feels very personal. He's, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of times you watch an actor and you might enjoy him and all that, but a lot of times you don't feel almost like a personal connection. Mm. But whenever he's on screen, you just feel such a, his personality just coming out of the screen and just coming towards you. It just every time you see him, it's just so powerful. I agree. Uh, you brought up directorial, so I just wanted to go. Of course, Ghost Dad 
incredible. I love Ghost Dad so much. Uh, the Bill Cosby venture. I seen it as a kid. You know, the, the, the theme of it's so wild. You know, for a kid's movie, there's some really funny stuff in there. Um, uh, it's Ghost Dad is a great, great movie. I have the poster for Ghost Dad. Uh, that's how great of a film it is. I got nothing but love for it. And he also directed Stir Crazy, uh, the Richard Pryor, Gene Wilder vehicle, which is uh, one of their best uh, team-up movies, if not the best. I happen to think Hear No Evil, See No Evil is their best team-up movie. But a lot of people argue that Stare Crazy is right up there, if not better. Um, you know, what's funny, that you know, Pryor and Wilder didn't really get along. That's what's so funny about them, them teaming up, which you probably see with a lot of duos, uh, them not getting along. But, yeah, he had quite a little good, quite a, a nice little, you know, directing career, which is funny that he does, like, Stare Crazy and Ghost Dad, which are – Ghost Dad's almost like the, there's really not much style to it. You know what I mean? But it's like a good film. You think with a, with a, with a, an actor that's so respected and I'm not trying to give him hard times. It's just, I think his, his selection of directorial movies is very interesting. You know what I mean? Um, and with that being said, we have a, another filmmaker that passed on recently. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I know in 2020, right off the bat, though, 2022 is when these folks went. So we can still kind of talk about them. Uh, Pina Bogdanovich, you know, legendary, iconic filmmaker, you know, m- mainly known for films like um, The Last Picture Show, like we talked about before. With the I, the, I think one of the actors passed from that. Uh, what Up Doc was big. Paper Moon was huge. You know, Mask. Mask is a big one. You know what I mean? Um Texasville. Now, Texasville, I think I've seen, I think I had a, when I was a kid, there was a tape of it. And if it's the movie that I think it is, which I think it is, the scene that I remember vividly is there's a dude sitting in like this, 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 have you seen it? No, no, I haven't. He's in like a, a barrel. He's almost in like a barrel taking a bath and he's holding a gun and somebody goes, what you doing with that gun? And he like aims her in the barrel and he says something about like shooting his dick off. That's the part that I remember. I'm pretty sure that was Texas film. But, you know, the mask, Rocky Dennis, dude, I, when I seen mask as a kid, I was horrified. I was scared. It's like a fucking horror movie. The way he looks is horrifying. Eric Stoltz is Rocky yeah. Dennis. Um, crazy madness type shit. You know what I mean? Uh, he also did documentaries, of course, like Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers running down a dream documentary is a great documentary. I love Tom Petty a lot. I just got the Wildflowers album in the other day. That's how much I like him. Um, and he was also, if I remember, Bogdanovich, I think he was someone who was cool with Kubrick and all those people. He was friendly with a lot of other filmmakers. Orson Welles. I know there's a like a documentary called like Where the Wind Blows or something like that that was made that he directed that was kind of about finishing up the last Orson Welles film. Um, and I believe the last Orson Welles film and the documentary both at the same time came out on Amazon, maybe, or something like that. Like there, it's on Amazon prime to watch, but yeah, Bogdanovich and he's in the Sopranos. He's, he, you know, he's in a lot of things acting wise, you know what I mean? Um, he's just got a very, very he plays himself a lot because he's just that dude he's almost become a character like mel brooks does or something like that um 
But, but yeah, he was uh, 54 he was in, which I enjoyed 54 a lot. Um, I believe 54 is the one with about the club, Studio 54. I'm pretty sure that was oh, the yeah, one. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Mike Myers, they gave him an Academy. They, they nominated him for an Academy Award for that. And he did a great job. He probably should have got it. Um, that's back when you had, they wouldn't let you just win the Academy Award. You had to prove yourself. Nowadays, all you have to do is be new. All you have to be, be is new and young and make something decent. And they'll give you the, back in the day, you would have, if you were new, you would have to do like five masterpiece films before they gave you an Academy Award. Nowadays, they just give it to you for showing up practically. um yeah but yeah bogdanovich is uh you know that was sad you know he was getting up there of course but like devastatingly you see he was he was he's not so he's a filmmaker that's always been around and he's been highly respected you know what i mean but like you're not a lot of people unless you're kind of a film fan you're not really gonna know his name i feel unless you pursue you know what i mean you're not really gonna know but very great stuff, you know. So that kind of wraps up the list. Is there anybody that we left out that you can think of off the top? It was a big list. No, I think we got everybody. I like it. All right, cool. Well, shit. With that being said, we uh, we hope none of y'all make our list next year. Uh, we're hoping everybody has a great 2022. We hope that we're, me and the Hawkman are still here 2023 doing a big um, to bring you another memoriam episode. Um, but yeah, for sure, you know, rest in peace to all these people, you know, they, they dedicated, uh, their time and life, uh, in certain situations to bring these films to us and these television shows and this music and these books and, you know, video games like John Madden. And, uh, you know, we appreciate, uh, all that they've done. And, uh, this is our little memoriam. Uh, for these folks so you know rest in peace and much love job well done thanks for entertaining us to these people and if you, the hog man don't got nothing else to say we'll cut it off here yeah i mean i agree with my pal matt that uh they'll all be missed i mean we l- lost a lot of heavy iconic uh people i mean betty white i mean I mean, ev- I mean, everyone that passed away just—it kind of reminds you how fragile life is. Very fragile, unfortunately, you know. So, with that being said, we hope everybody out there is having a great New Year's, and uh, we'll catch y'all on the next episode of the Boombastic. Cast. Right now, when you hear this, there'll be a new interview up from from the previous release with the great Ralph Sutton, Gas Digital, Good Sugar, SDR podcast. Uh, really fun episode. Everybody go grab that. Listen, love it. Live it. Learn it. Lavishly lay in it. Okay? And have the best time of all times. And it's time to say peace with the Peace.